Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show and your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. On our way to the conversation, I will remind you, conversations like this and others are brought to you in part by MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, offering a full range of financial services. MeQ, Baltimore's credit union, has been helping its members and its community prosper for the last 80 years. When you invest in yourself, MeQ invests in you. Remember, it's a credit union, not just a bank, belongs to you, and money comes back in the end. More information at www.mecu.com or standardshow.org is MeQ, Baltimore Credit Union's banner. So a few weeks back, uh, I had this uh, back and forth with a friend of mine about uh, um, black-owned restaurants in Baltimore. and or not in this house, but it started on Facebook. Somebody posted on Facebook about black-owned restaurants in Baltimore. And then so people started going back and forth about naming the restaurants, and I started writing them all down and counting them up, many of which I've been to, but many I've never been to before, and adding them up and writing them down, and I said, this is close to 30 restaurants. Mm-hmm. I said, damn. So I was kept on writing and, 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 and checking these out and looking at the websites and driving around, and, and then somebody wrote to me and said, I'm, I'm tired of eating the restaurants that's owned by white people. What about the black and restaurants in Baltimore? I said, well, actually, I think there are a lot. So <laughs> I sent this list out and said, we said, you know, it'd be kind of cool to kind of explore that and and how that's a really important aspect of the growing business in the city and what it means for the city and the entire community. And then we heard that one of the places, a new place I've been to that I really liked, Dovecote, was having this Indiegogo campaign to buy the building and really expand their work. And so I said, well, it's time to have this conversation. And then my friend Herua opened his own restaurant, uh, New Spot. So we said, well, let's have this conversation. So here we are. So... Uh, we have Heru Meritifus with us from the Grub Beef Factory on Charles Street, right? That's right, the Grub Factory, Hotep. How's everybody doing? <laughs> Peace and blessings. And uh, Aisha Pugh and Cole from Duffcoat Cafe. Good to w- welcome to the studio. Good to have you all here. Thanks for having us. Thanks. And my old friend Greg Brown, Landa Kush. Good morning. Not as pretty as the other part of your restaurant. Could it be here, but you're here. That's okay. <laughs> I try to do what I do. I try to do what I can. <laughs> and you all can join us here at 410. 410- 319-8888. You can write to us here at talk at steinershow.org by email. You can tweet us at Mark Steiner. But do join in at 410-319-8888. So I just, what, is it, what do you think this means, this explosion of restaurants in this town? It really has changed. And they're not, some of them are vegan, but some of them are not vegan uh, of all kinds. Restaurants is opening up. There's a new barbecue joint that just opened up on Greenmont Avenue in 26. The barbecue spot. The barbecue spot on 20, right? The 26th Street, Run. right? Quick. That's why right here, right? Yep. I haven't been there yet. Don't shoot me, vegans. I'm the <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I haven't checked it out yet. But that, that's opened up. And so what, is this, what does it indicate? What does this mean that these, all of a sudden there's this ex- explosion of really successful restaurants in this town? What does it say? Greg, you were one of the first ones open. So what do you th- let me start with you. Well, I, I just think it's, I think it's a focus on entrepreneurialism right now, um, especially in the African-American community. Um, I think it's always been so in the African community. Um, but now more so in the African-American community, I think more people are, thought, uh, are just thinking about opening their own business. And I think food is the first thing that comes to mind. Um, you know, uh, everybody eats. So everybody has their own individual perception of what food and what a space should be like when you want to hang out, when you want to have good food, whether it's vegan or not vegan or coffee or whatever. Um, I just think, you know, that's the that's the thing people tend to gravitate to. So. That's what you. That's what you're starting to see out there. So, how about y'all been studying Duffcoat? What's it, what's what's the story of Duffcoat? <laughs> <laughs> well, I think to to the first question you asked, it's you know it's fascinating because Baltimore um, is a solidly black city with a population that is 65 percent black, and so actually I would say we have a long way to go before mm-hmm. the businesses in this city and the percentage of businesses that are owned by black folks in the city matches the population base. And so it's an exciting moment because I think that people are realizing that. And for us, you know, a big part of why we came to Baltimore is because where are you from? Um, so Aisha is from Brooklyn all day. Um, And I was born in D.C., but I grew up in Oakland, um, which people used to call the Chocolate City of the West. I was also, as a kid growing up there, uh, over 60 percent black. And so we grew up in black cities that were epicenters of culture and community and space. And we also then over the last five to 10 years watched them each fall to gentrification and the the general um, not only purging of black folks, but everything that gave those cities their flavor. And so we just realized that we could either live in that state of rage and like 
grief, longing for the city that had been, or we could go in search of what was possible and ask ourselves the question around like, is there a way to preserve and anchor and strengthen the culture of a city around its blackness as a beacon? Because we know in this country, uh, American culture is black culture. It's driven by black culture. You took one of the words out of my mouth. I say all the time, people come in when I give these speeches, I go, one of the lines I use often is that if you're an American, that means you're black. And people stop and what, what? But then exploring who we are as a people, as a history, who we de- how we were defi- how we're defined, you can't leap, you can't run from it. Mm-hmm. So it's you know it's very real, right? Yeah, it's very real. Heru. Yes. So wh- from winning the mac and cheese contest, <laughs> <laughs> that's some good macaroni and cheese. I'm, I'm hip. <laughs> well, we are. You know, um, I think this. Um, if you want to call it an explosion, I think it's uh, black people really. Um, and th- there's generations of this, waves of this in every generation of us realizing we have to solve our problems. And one way of doing that is um, uh, employing our own and building our own uh, establishments and businesses. Eating is a lot to do with, um, you know, like Greg said, everybody eats, everybody does it every day for the most part. And it's, it's a social aspect as well. And uh, uh, as we build these institutions that have us socializing around food, then we can really begin to solve the larger problems. Um, if we can hire our own, we can we can stop some of the stuff you were talking about in the last segment. If we can uh, provide safe spaces for us to congregate, we can uh, reduce a lot of the things we talked about in the last segment in terms of the violence in the city. So I think it's us realizing we have to solve our problems and actually going about building institutions that will help that come about. And folks, do you want to jump in Why you? No, other than to add snaps to <laughs> what has already been said. <laughs> so but let me take a little digression here. I because I, I heard about your your campaign to buy the building. Could you talk a bit about what's going on with that and how people, it's an Indiegogo campaign, right? It is. It's an Indiegogo campaign. And I think it goes back to what you were just saying, right? Which is this idea of like, we have to not only build our own, but what we're also realizing um, is that we need to own our own. We need to own the buildings that actually our businesses are in. We need to be able to have intergenerational transfer of resources and wealth and land that helps to grow over years and eventually centuries. And so for us, um, you know, our landlords originally bought the building thinking, they would open a cafe uh, and they lived in it and then you know life happens and kids happen and they moved out to the county and they were like oh that's over <laughs> uh, and so they were our space was uh, vacant for almost seven years right. before we moved into it and took it over on Madison Ave so it in some way um, is really exciting and we also know that like Owning and controlling our future and our fate and our destiny is so important to the community that we're building. And so the building itself is hugely significant. It was built in 1863, the same year the Emancipation Proclamation was signed. The building was originally uh, occupied by a wealthy land landowner who lived there with his family and his kids and their families and their slaves. And mm. the land all around it um, was, at the time, suburban. And so for us to make that an epicenter of black community and black culture and to own that land and to be able to use it in whatever way our village and our community needs um, is really, really exciting. And so people have been shipping in everything from $5 to $5,000 on the Indiegogo to help us. Um, Our stretch goal is $50,000 because that will allow us to go towards the down payment and also to completely redo the side yard. It's a, a... almost freestanding building and has um, a really big plot of land around it that we've never been able to fully activate. So we're really excited. So and what you said, one thing, well, how do people get the Indiegogo campaign, the Indiegogo campaign, how they get there? Yes. So you can go to Indiegogo. You can search for Dovecote Cafe. Um, You can also um, go to Dovecote Cafe's Instagram and click on the link right in the bio and it'll take you straight to the Indiegogo. And we'll go back there again before we leave this hour. But um, I think it's really exciting that that's happening. And And I think that what you said about who owned that house before and where you are mm-hmm. and in Mount, near Mount Vernon and, mm-hmm. and the areas that people have their places in. I, I was doing a lot of research about our history. It's, I hope it's not too much of a digression, but it made me think of this because you said this. Mm-hmm. You know, when you look at the streets of Baltimore, the names of the streets, you know, we talk, we argue about these Confederate monuments and what to do with them. Um, and I have my own ideas about that, but that's another conversation with these, <laughs> these Confederate monuments. But almost every major street in Baltimore is named after a slave owner. Mm-hmm. And in slave, almost every street in Baltimore is named after an enslaver. I didn't dawn on me until I went to, I ran this 
conversation about homeless kids at the Unitarian Church's parish house on Charles Street. And then I, when you walk in, the names of all these original Marylanders are like on the, on the ceiling, I mean, on the, on the top of the wall, all the way around. And I looked around, I was looking at these names, I'm going, these are all names of streets. And then I started looking at the names again, and going, wait a minute, these names, Payson, Charles, Calvert, all these names, these were people who were slaveholders. That's how and, that's how far back the history goes. Right, I mean, right. You know, I mean, when when naming, I mean, that's that's who the city, you know, chose the name after. So now it's a renaissance. Now we're more aware, especially with with the internet and you know everybody's researching now. Everybody has access to do research. You don't have to leave your home and go to the library. You can research now. So now we're being exposed to all this information, and now uh, there's the energy of uh, revolution in a sense um, where people want change like you said the confederate monuments you know nobody was even wasn't it wasn't even a conversation until you know maybe a, a couple of years ago and now every now you look around you realize you have another sense of awareness and now you have another sense of responsibility on how do we change these things you know and begin to slowly change okay we got MLK Boulevard Maybe we need a Malcolm X Boulevard. Maybe we need a Heyru Boulevard. Maybe we need a Aisha Boulevard. You know, maybe we need a Dovecote Boulevard and and reset the the, the monuments. Um, and reset the monuments that represent this city and, and, it's, and its history. I'm sorry, go ahead. Let me cut you off. Yes, it's sir. funny you say that because you you're wearing an urban philosophy shirt right now. <laughs> That's how we and if, if, if y'all understand urban philosophy and the creative urban philosophy, Imhotep Fatu, it's all about reconceptualizing. Now, it's no surprise to me that these streets are named after the people that were in power when this city was established. That's, that makes sense. Mm -hmm. right. Now, it's about us recognizing, okay, now we, we have power. We can build some power and amass um, the influence to rename streets, mm -hmm. to you know, re, just, just redo the whole model because it was done with a particular group of people in mind. It was done to, to facilitate their goals, their visions. So if we have a goal, we have a vision, then we can facilitate what our new reality should be. And, you know, we represent that new reality right here in this room. Mm -hmm. You know, hopefully, like you said, generations, centuries to come, they, they'll talk about what was laid down before them. Yep. Um, perhaps we'll do enough work that we can be remembered in that recollection. But it's our duty, our obligation, you know, mm -hmm. MK, MK Asante taught me, if you have an observation, you have an obligation. So we make that observation that Mark, you know, you just made plain to us, we have an obligation to do something to alter that power structure and give our children something to be proud of. So in some ways, th there's this kind of burst of energy in the city in terms of black owned restaurants. Mm -hmm. I mean, this, that's why I'm thinking, saying when I started out was talking about what the significance of it is, mm -hmm. you know, beyond the fact that you all own restaurants. Right. Right? I that, mean, that, it's, it's hugely significant that there, there's so many places now that are, and this is just the beginning of what could possibly be in the city. It is. It's, it's a beginning. And I, while I'm the, I'm the baby in the room in terms of the restaurant, we're working on our third month right now, I, can, I, I think I bring a, 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 I represent a unique um, approach to the business model because I'm just a representative of the, of the collective that owns the Grub Factory. You know, we're a group of 10 families at the core hmm. that pooled our money together. Yeah. We took out no bank loans um, and opened this business. And we've hired uh, children of those 10 families. Our, our staff ranges from 14 to 25. Um, and they're all children or affiliated uh, youth in, um, you know, f from our organization. So this is what we have to do on a larger scale. You know, we have to represent a collective to um to, to a, a you know about to the community because in that you know people see that there's we can work together we can do things together we just have to respect each other and actually reach out to each other and take initiative to make sure we're supporting each other you know i'm i'm just learning about the indiegogo because i've been working 15 hour days i don't <laughs> we know remember what's going those on. first three months <laughs> yeah um so yeah yeah i'm sure all of y'all can talk about that <laughs> so um we just have to find ways to support each other um and not step on each other and 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 recognize that we need we need each other in order to change our situation but your, your restaurant's like almost a collective isn't it in some ways 
oh, if everybody wants to collectively pay the bills, I'd appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, I love hearing that because I think what's, what's very interesting is in the model that we've been constructed to live in, we focus on the restaurant aspect of it and we like think about the business and we think about the individual natures that businesses tend to um, have historically been in our country and really what we all at this at this round table do is is showcase a different model and yes it could be in the different model of food that we put forward or the different um, model of the the if if we really only want to be very narrow minded in what we're doing as as business owners and I put that in in air quotes then what we're focused on is the restaurant we're focused on um, kind of the, the the model of food provision but really what we we aim to do and I believe that um, everyone at this table is just how do we think about community differently how do we think about whether it's a collective model of doing business whether it's about um, a real engagement of creating social spaces and third spaces and places where people can come and engage differently and not live as strangers in this world. And so while we're not a collective in the sense of collective um, financial responsibility, we are a collective in the sense of wide open sacred space. And how do we create that sacred space and showcase a different version of how to do business, of how to do public engagement, of how to do public service. And in this model, we do it through food, but that's not the only model. Mm -hmm. And so it is about modeling um, community spaces that are of the community for our community and very importantly is by the community, by people that live in the community. Um, and that is, is very different than what I think is done by by white owned establishments. Let me open the phones here. Folks calling in to join this conversation as we talk to about the, the growth of black restaurants and black owned restaurants in Baltimore, I should say, uh, with three of those restaurants here. Grub Bee Factory, Dovecote Cafe, and Land of Kush is in the house. 410-319-8888. It's just Grub Factory, man. Don't, don't let that capital B throw you off, man. Oh, oh, it's, oh, it's, oh it's, that, that B is not is a mistake. That capital B is a mistake. No, that's not a mistake. That is supposed to be there. It's but silent. It, but, but, it, but it's just Grub. Just Grub. Yeah. Okay. Just let it flow. Just let it flow. Yeah. Just, let, just let, Grub. Let, let, let that black part of you just come on through. <laughs> I'm not kidding, Stay in room. 410-319-8888. I'm not talking to y'all. <laughs> no mas. <laughs> 410-319-8888. 88. Crystal, you're on the air. Welcome. Thank you. Um, kudos to everyone on the panel who has taken the initiative to start a restaurant. That's fantastic. Um, Michael, you say there's 30 restaurants in Baltimore, but, and kudos to, to that upswing. Now, I have to say that my personal experience has been um, with dealing with Paying my money, my hard-earned money to go, and I'm a foodie, so I love food. I want to patronize black restaurants. I want to patronize all restaurants with good food. But I find, um, and I love the in input from the panel, when I deal with an, an African-American employee, dealing with an African-American customer, all of a sudden the customer service dwindles. I'll have a white customer or a Korean customer in front of me. Yes, ma'am. How can I help you? When I step up, it's like I'm inferior or something. And I shouldn't feel that way in anyone's restaurant. And I'm just hoping and praying that the three restaurants on the panel are training their staff to treat everyone the same. Everyone's money is green. And if anything, I think you should step it up when you see a black customer come up to your counter and treat them like kings and queens because we're, we're, we're just I think it's just a conditioning that we treat other races better but we should treat everyone the same and I'm speaking with passion because I experience it almost on a daily basis and I want to say something to that black employee but you know it's, it's not my place but I, it's a conditioning of us so if you guys could speak to that I'd appreciate it and again kudos um, I, I'm going to come visit everyone's restaurant, and I hope to visit others. And I and serving food that 
keeps us alive, not kills us like these fast food restaurants. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, Crystal. Who wants to jump in first? Looks like everybody wants to get into this mic here. Um, <laughs> did you want to start, Cole? Sure. Um, you know, I think the, the conditioning that you speak to uh, is real, um, both in terms of our expectations of black businesses, um, which are actually not the same that we hold white businesses to. I also think that... Um, we don't have the same level of resources and historical expertise um, of growing up in those spaces and places. But I think that the biggest issue around the critique that's being leveled, right, is that um, we have an expectation of black businesses on how we should be treated and how we should um, receive services that we don't extend to white businesses, right? That there are lots of ways. They, they may offer you customer service with a smile, but they may not hire black folks. They might not be invested in your community. They may not actually fundamentally care that you are in their restaurant and establishment and just because they offer you a smile with that service doesn't mean that they're invested um, in community and I think that that is really the larger question we ask is like what does it look like for us to be invested in and unattached to our history in order to give ourselves permission to re-see ourselves and the possibility that we might create together absolutely have we had generations of business ownership to lean back on in terms of how we train ourselves and each other to show up for each other? No, but that's not our fault. The real question is like, how do we offer that and be in community with businesses that are doing that? And certainly, uh, I think that's a big part of what we talk about at Dovecote is like, what does it look like for us to reframe the way that being with our community is and what kind of experience do we want people to walk away with? And I think that um, it is all too frequent that black folks are willing to really kind of crucify each other um, around standards and expectations as opposed to kind of reaching out with love. And so definitely invite folks who are feeling that way uh, to reframe and rethink about the opportunities and what businesses are you invested in and supporting so that the resources can be there? And how are you holding the white establishments and institutions that don't invest in our communities accountable? Craig. I love that. Me um, too. That was really, really, really powerfully said. Yeah, uh, great. But, but back to the point of conditioning, um, the, the young lady mentioned it, and um, it was expounded upon, but um, we are reconditioning the people in the community, you know, and it's not an easy task. We're trying to teach them customer service skills, soft skills, um, restaurant skills, life skills, African history, um, a respect for themselves. They're, they're out here listening to the futures and we're, we're hiring those people that you see on the internet and giving them the opportunity to expand themselves. I know with us at the Land of Kush, we hire we hire from the hood of hoods, you know. I, I mean, we <laughs> from Park Heights to to Heart of East Baltimore. We're we're pulling those folks, and we're trying to reestablish their mentalities around, even around just themselves, um, but also you know the business, obviously. But you know, it's a task, and we ask people, you know, to understand that, you know, try to understand that this is. What we're doing, we're we're taking people that no that, that at times that nobody would hire. I mean, we have a young man working for, who's been up with us for three years, who you know nobody was hiring. I mean, he 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 worked somewhere for for two weeks and they just fired him for for something very minimal, and you know we've almost you know raised this young man. You know what I'm saying? So this is understand that when you're dealing with with a black business like the own this is what we're doing. You know, we're we're reconditioning and it's a reconditioning of our people is not an overnight thing. It's, it doesn't happen instantaneously and like you said, we don't have training programs established and and yes we need those resources and we would love to have those resources but it takes time to recondition people's mentality um especially with the influence of um society and the culture at large that's in their head as well we have to take a short break we'll come right back let you jump right in here okay. we're going to take a quick guide but uh, station 90 and we come back we're also going to go to the phones and griffin you're the next caller up we're going to go to griffin and then seth mike and arame we're going to get to all your calls you're going to take over the show with your questions and ideas stay with us we'll be right back
Welcome back, folks. This is Mark Steiner right here on The Mark Steiner Show on your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA, 88.9 FM, the voice of the community. And we are here with three people who represent, four people who represent three restaurants in Baltimore. African-American-owned restaurants are exploding around the city. Uh, I was actually at one last night, which opens on September the 24th, next month. Uh, it's going to be called um, uh, Ida B's Table. And uh, it, they, this is the folks who used to own Urban Soul. And uh, it's, this is going to be an incredibly great spot uh, downtown. And so, uh, you know, this just it, this keeps growing. And this is the heart to me of a new economic power growing, which is really important. And more than economic, it's social, it's cultural. It's about reclaiming. And it's, it's amazing. So we want to have this conversation today. We're here with uh, uh, Heru Meratif, who is... The Rub Factory yes. has collected owns that on Charles Street. What's the address again? 1210 North Charles Street, right in between Preston and Biddle. And Aisha Pugh and Cole from Dovecote Cafe. And the address on Madison Avenue is? 2501. 2501. And Greg Brown, Lando Cush. 840 North Utah Street. There we go. So, uh, and let's go right to the phone. Oh, oh, really quickly. You, oh, I'm sorry. You want to say something? Yeah, really quickly. I just want to add on to what was already yeah. said um, by Aisha and Greg about uh, customer service in black yeah, restaurants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I agree with everything that's been said up to this point. Um, one point I would like to um, address to the caller, uh, she made the statement that it's not her place to say anything to the black mm. employee. Um, that may be correct, but it is our place, her place, my place, everyone's as customers to make that um, grievance known to the business owner any way that you can. Because the only way we're going to get better is if we know where we're lacking and what we need to work on. And I think a lot of times we feel like um, it's not our job to do that, but we have to understand that this is a collective thing. If we want black power to, uh, to, to exist, to grow, then we have to help each other build that black power. And the only way to do that is to let us know um, when we need to do things better. Um, give that business, you know, give, give them a three strike rule. You know, okay, I, I had a bad, ex I had a not so great experience here. Um, this is what happened. I'm going to come back and I'm going to see how, you know, how it got better. Um, give them three strikes, 90 days, whatever you have to do. But we have to say we can't quit on us. We have to help each other get better. Now, if after three times it's still horrible, then you can say, okay, I gave you a fair shot. Um, there, there's something else that needs to be done here, some kind of overhaul. Um, but we, we cannot afford to just stop because we had one bad experience because we go to these other places. Like you said, we're not holding them to the same accountability standards. You know, we have a bad experience. We're going back. Why? Because it's convenient. Why? Because they already have power. Why? They already have resources. They're already everywhere. Um, in, in order for us to ever get to that point, we have to help each other grow. That makes it our responsibility to let those businesses know when they're not up to par. Let's hit the phones at 410-319-8888. Oh, Griffin is gone. Well, Griffin comes back. We'll take him back. Or, oh, Griffin. Uh, so let's go. Who's the next person up? Is Seth. You're on the air. Welcome. Yes, hi. Hi, Seth. Uh, great panel. Thank um, you. My wife and I are hooked on the um, kale appetizer down at the Land of Kush. Great stuff. Mm -hmm. um, but <clears throat> a little of my thunder has been stolen. I'm a contractor, a licensed contractor here in, in Baltimore area, and I find it often that people say that they're having a bad experience with one contractor, maybe unlicensed black contractor, and they blame everybody, everybody that looks like me. I'm black, and they, it's just like, well, I'm not hiring another black contractor because I had a bad experience with another black. So it's kind of on the same thing that you guys are talking about. And I just find that, you know, that's, you know, it, I just can't wrap my head around it because they wouldn't say it about any other nationality. But they hold us accountable for what somebody else black did. And that's my statement. Thank you. Uh, that is a reality. I mean, if you had a white contractor or anybody else who came in and do business and they, they, they screwed up your plumbing, you wouldn't go, I'm not going to hire another white plumber. Yeah, it's crazy. Plumber, we look right? at, we look true, at other uh, nationalities as individuals, but we, we, we like to lump ourselves into a collective on the negative side. We need to learn how to lump ourselves into a collective on the positive side. You know, I, I do want to go back to the customer service because that's kind of something that we more than underscore and just a different perspective than the last three. Um, that we, not that we don't have any customer service issues, but we are very fortunate that we tend to be at a five star or very close in all areas. And that's because it is an essential part of our business model that black communities absolutely deserve 
the highest, not just a greeting, not just a false sense of um, connectivity, but the highest level of engagement because we have been conditioned to live and operate behind glass. And so every other commercial space in our neighborhood has bulletproof whatever mm. protective mm-hmm. plexiglass and mm-hmm. we have be, we expect that that's that that that's the level of um service and engagement that we deserve or this very stoic and whitewashed level of you know how are you like very um without spirit and soul and so the idea that that is unacceptable for our customers that we deserve to be seen, like we deserve to be able to come in and have um, our well-being to be truly and authentically regarded is, I would close my doors thinking we could not do that because that is the point of the business is to say you absolutely deserve to be seen and in turn, we deserve to be seen. So to Greg's point, like, yes, this the young man that he's growing up, like, He's trying to figure out how to be his full self because he's been told so like through so many other mediums that he is not deserving of his full self, that he can't be. He's only a partial being. And so that's what he then um, behaves as. And so it is absolutely our responsibility, both as customers, as employees, as business owners, in regard as a community to give each other our best and fullest selves. And then when we fall short, it's our responsibility to hold each other accountable. And so I don't think about it as customer service. I think about it as community service, mm-hmm. as well as allowing yourself to be a full being in that community and is not enough to to treat someone anything less than what they are deserving because that actually mirrors and gives you less than what you deserve to be able to be as a person. The conversation here is, give me chills, this is good. 410-319-8888. Griffin, you're on the air. Hi. Hi, Griffin. Good morning. Fine. I'm enjoying the conversation. Good. Uh, I'm out in the county, uh, Anne Arundel County, and... um, I have no idea of the locations of black restaurants in the city. Certainly there aren't any out here that I'm aware of. Uh, is there a general listing of hmm. black restaurants? And how do I, you know, get that information? Uh, some of the names are difficult to, uh, <laughs> when you speak them, <laughs> you know, to retain. So uh, the question is, uh, is there a listing, and uh, how are you promoting that listing? Because you know my business is marketing for forty years. Mm. So, Greg Brown, <laughs> you're going to say what? Well, I was—I don't know if there's just a general list of black-owned restaurants. That I mean, you could Google. There, there are there are a number of articles that have been written um, about black-owned restaurants in Baltimore. Um, that's one. If you touch on any of our pages. I'm pretty sure um, that you'll find a list of other black-owned restaurants because we're all connected, whether it's Flight, Terra Cafe, Grindhouse, Dove Coat, Grub Factory. We're all connected in some shape, form, or fashion. Um, so by following one of us, it's almost a link to all of and, us. And, and I, I'll create a list on our on our website, steinershow.org. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've, I have a short list here, and it's longer. It plays like Truffle Butter in Towson, Terra Cafe, Land of Cushions in the House, Grindhouse Juice Bar, T-Valve Cafe and Lounge, The Barbecue on Greenmount Avenue, Georgia Peach and Owings Mills, Collins Seafood in Randallstown, Nailers on York Road, Taste This on 25th and St. Paul, Water for Chocolate on Lombard Street, mm-hmm. um, uh, and First American Fusion Restaurant on York Road, The Big Bean Theory, Mount Vernon Marketplace. I mean, the list is large, but these are lists that I have in front of me at the moment. And we'll, I'll post these with links to their websites on our website so folks and, can access it. And, and don't forget don't forget our uh, West Indian and African community, too. No, 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 right, right, yeah, right. You know, because you know, yeah, right. they've been well-established mm-hmm. for, and that, and for that, a long time. Cause Judy, and that one restaurant's being pushed out. What's the name of the restaurant on Charles Street near near uh, near um, the Caribbean Paradise? The Caribbean Paradise yeah, they're, they're being pushed out. Yeah, because mm. the people bought the building and gave them two weeks to leave. Oh that's, wow! And they've been there for like fifteen years or whatever. But that Long speaks to, that speaks to what Cole yeah. was talking about earlier about Power. about owning. You know, not only having the businesses, but owning the buildings. 
um, in which the businesses exist. So there are a lot of callers here. Let's try to get as many as we can in. It's 410-319-8888. We'll take them in order that you called. Mike, you're on the air. Welcome. Good morning, everyone. Good morning. You know, I, 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 I've been listening, and everybody has really good points. But the biggest thing that I see is just plain on simple manners. You know, when you, when you walk into an establishment, you know, you have to be, you know, you have to use manners when you approach the person behind the counter. You know, they have to use manners to, to interact with you. And that's the, that to me, that's the biggest thing right there. You know, if you, if you come in looking for good service with a good attitude, then I think that's what, you, that's what you'll probably get. You know, my wife, she's, a, she's a, what I call a professional consumer. You know, <laughs> I want that job. <laughs> and, and when she goes in, the service better be better be right, or she will do what the what the gentleman suggested. She will report the person. Believe that. And I'm not I'm not that I'm not that strict. But uh, it's it's all a thing of manners. That's on both sides. That's that's what that's basically that's all it is. Agreed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just really about being kind to each other and not right. putting, you know, acts of service in any disregard or as um, triage less than. And I think this idea of like, you're here to serve me and then this con like confronting that and being like, I'm a human, I'm not a servant. Like that's the battle that we often see in the service industry mm -hmm. as opposed to like being of service has a whole different connotation in um, meeting a need that both serves me, serves you, and serves the community. And we can do that from a sense of, of kindness and love and once we really both give and take and that's the expectation um, and then when you don't get it just checking in because it probably has nothing to do with you and like what is that sense of letting somebody be less than who they want to be and holding them accountable to get better and be better not just for you as a consumption of who they are but for them so that they can grow and be a better being in this world and like that's really a different model around the service industry that we're mm. excited to explore yeah no slight to the caller's wife, but um, we've um, we have to be careful of that uh, that that consumption and the expectation that that capitalism breeds. Um, we can work within capitalism and not be capitalist, and that goes on both sides of the counter. Say that one more time, man. We can work within <laughs> capitalism and not be capitalist, yeah. and that goes for both sides of the counter. Um, not just us as business owners, but also as the the uh, the patronizer of the business. Yep. Um, don't come in with an expect, like she said, an expectation of, um, you know, I'm I know in my mind I'm about to lay out some money in here, so I want the I want the red, black, and green carpet. Um, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yo, orders yeah, red, so black, and green carpet now <laughs> online. <laughs> Let me get the phones here. Four one zero three one nine eighty eight eighty eight. I love that. Aramay, you're on the air. Welcome. Line four. Yes, Good morning. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for calling. Okay, so congratulations to all those activists, community leaders to do that. Uh, but I call in regards to the previous lady who, uh, who says something about uh, customer service, the conditioning. That is true, but at the same time, like uh, another gentleman also said, you have to be a little nicer to those young men. I went to restaurants, black-owned restaurants, a couple of times, and they were, like, kind of a little upset, bad attitude, but I just smiled at them, talked very smoothly, showed them kindness, then they reversed back. So a lot of times there are young men and young women. You don't know what's going on at home or what's going on in their real life. So you just have to show them kindness. And I, I can assure you, by the time you leave the county, they do a complete turnaround. So just treat them with kindness and nurture them. That will um, that will make them turn around. If, if it doesn't work, you can complain to the customer. So just don't give up on them. That's my uh, comment. And thank you. Thank you, Arme. Thank you. Beautiful yeah. attitude and accent. 
I think it's also so telling, right, that we're here talking about black restaurants and entrepreneurship. And most of the calls are about like the quality of service you receive and whether these black businesses are worth our dollars. (laughs) And that that's consistently how as a black entrepreneur you get met by community. I think what a lot of people don't realize is when you patronize a black business, you're patronizing an ecosystem. We haven't Mm. owned and controlled the businesses in our own neighborhoods and communities since segregation fell. Right. As a collective and the ability to be in a community to hire, you know, everybody who works in our cafe walks to work. We have a brother who started a business, you know, as a business owner who runs a restaurant, you spend probably 30 to 40 percent of your week grocery shopping at the world's largest grocery shop. You think Costco is big. There's nothing compared to the the depot. Right. That's like 30 to 40 percent of your job. And there's this brother who has started a business working with black businesses Mm -hmm. doing their grocery shopping for them. That gave Basim. We were uh, we were his first customer. Customer. And like huh. he now works with five different black businesses in the city besides Dovco. Like there's an ecosystem of entrepreneurs that we are now connected to and supporting and invested in. So when you spend your dollar there, you are actually feeding an ecosystem of black people who are trying to build and create their lives to support their families, to create joy in their neighborhoods and communities. And I think that that's actually the the larger question. And really what's exciting about this moment is like, yes, black restaurants are on the rise and that's exciting. And it feels like something's accessible to us. And it's also, as you said, food is really important. We build community around food. But what if this is just the opening to an entire Mm. ecosystem of black owned and run businesses in this city that actually could feed and sustain the community so that the unemployment rates that are ridiculously high for black folks in the city go down. And so I think it is my request and my ask is like, can't we just live in the possibility of what that could become Mm. and not reduce ourselves down to the like bad interactions we've had so that it stops us from investing in and imagining what's possible if we come together. Mm. More snaps. Mm. <laughs> no, no, yeah, no, I think that the part of it is the, the one of the first callers was about customer service and yeah. I think that's what hit it off but I think and then but I, and I would hope that the, the, what's also coming through here is is that is what the four of you are saying to the world about the larger picture, the yes. larger sense of what this means yes. and where it can go. Which to me is the power of the whole thing. Yes. Which one reason I wanted to do this show today. Right, because we've had at least three of our former employees start their own business. That's mm. awesome. We had, I mean, LA, yep. uh, Ebony, and I know it's somebody else. Probably Nicola's probably done mm-hmm. her own thing here and there, but I'm sure it's somebody else that has started their own business. And, you know, that's I think that's what we, we're not just businesses. We're social enterprises. Yep, yep. We're community enterprises. And, and this is what we we're we're feeding this, you know. And, and, and big shout out to Greg has been a big supporter of PLM and, and everything we've done since they opened. Um, and, Y'all have been supportive of us well, since of we course. opened. Well, I mean, we, we got to eat. <laughs> well, I'm supposed to do <laughs> <laughs> We do a lot of work, man. We got to eat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you're right about that. 410-319-8888. <laughs> M. on the air. Welcome. Peace. Good morning, Hotel. Good morning. Hotel. Hotel. I'd just like to thank Duff Cove and uh, the restaurant uh, owners that we're listening to this morning. Um I live in a neighborhood where Van der Kush and Dove Cove are part of my community. And I watched Dove Cove when they first opened. And almost three to four months before they opened, they had free coffee for the community just to come in and see who they were. I thought that was uh, outstanding to introduce yourself to a community. So Dove Cove, where I live, I'm in the 2200 block of Madison. It's not just a restaurant. It's part of a community. To walk down the street where you live and then see people, because you hear so much negativity about Baltimore City. But if I walk two blocks from where I live, they're sitting outside right now under the tree. They're eating good, healthy food and stuff. And they're very positive people. And it's a good networking um, uh, place to go. You never know who you might meet when you go up to Dove Cove. But it's also brought... Um, the different people in the community together in a way that's extremely positive that you don't see in a lot of areas. So it's more than just a business establishment. It's also part of the revitalization of this particular community. It's not just regentrification going on. It's actually um, the lady who called earlier, for example, who was talking about the negativity that you might find with some black business owners. I don't find that 
when I go into these new establishments because it seems to be on a new paradigm. Mm-hmm. I find uh, respect. I, I, I find concern. I find enlightenment. I, I find people who are just like me as opposed to walking into a place with my mind fixed on what I'm going to find. I'm already negative when I come in the place. I come in with positive energy, and I leave with more positive energy. Mm-hmm. And I'd just like to thank Aisha and the whole posse at Dove Cove and the whole posse at uh, Land of Kush and the other places that I haven't been to for creating this spark in our community. It's something that's definitely needed. Appreciate the call. Yeah. yeah thank you. Thank you and so much. Thank you. And I've... And, but Bob, since we just, he, he raised Dove Code again, let's put the Indiegogo thing out there so we don't... Keep, keep hit it out there again. Yeah, uh, we're buying our building. We're really excited. Um, and we have a big goal of $50,000 that we're trying to stretch to. Um, and you can look up Dovecoat Cafe on Indiegogo. You can also go to Dovecoat's Instagram page and click the link in our bio, and it'll take you straight to the Indiegogo. Spell Dovecoat for him. D-O-V-E-C-O-T-E. Not Dovecote. Just Dovecote. Before I go to the phone, shit. That was for you, Mark. <laughs> <laughs> Got so chilly in here. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so I got another business owner in town. Caprice texted me just now saying, love the concept of ecosystem. It's yes. what I do when I augment my team for projects. She does a lot of PR marketing for companies, mm-hmm. another black-owned company. So she just throw that in. She said, I'm inspired, percolating. Which is good. Mm, there we go. It's a great place yes. to be. It's time for the percolator. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go. Come on, cultural references. <laughs> Let's back to the phones at 410-319-8888. Uh, let us go to uh, Rashid, you're on the air. Hello, hello, all. I thought the uh, red, black, and green carpet comment was pretty daggone funny. <laughs> but, um, uh, no, no, so I called in because... Um, you know, my experiences with black businesses, well, one, finding them is really the hardest thing. Um, I know Google is the end-all, be-all uh, search engine. Uh, you know, there's other ones like Crocodile or DuckDuckGo. Uh, but I do find that just trying to find black businesses, I live out here in uh, Laurel, Maryland, is just hard as all get out. Like, I mean, I recognize that in PG County, it's like, you know, we're so plentiful. You know, you don't really need to specifically search over here necessarily. Mm-hmm. Because, uh, you know, there's like an African grocery store on this corner. If I go down the street, there's another one. It's inter- intercontinental, uh, something like that. And, um, you know, but there's a lot of us. But the thing I find is that when I go to like the other states like Virginia, West Virginia, when I go over there to uh, uh, Jersey or uh, like Philadelphia, you know, like I, I see like, you know, there's uh, black-owned businesses that I can just Google and I'll just find them really quickly. I mean, over here, I can Google them too. But it seems like uh, they're really clustered in D.C. or in, like, the center of Baltimore when they pop up with the search results. And, you know, getting through both cities is like a 40-minute hassle. So, you know, I just I just figure, you know, um, having better visibility because it kind of feels like the business owners are, like, hiding, you know. Like, they don't want to say, like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're black because, you know, I guess they figure that they're going to have some type of backlash or something. But I just see that a lot, you know. But um, honestly, services at businesses are pretty, you know, nice, though. Yeah, I'll so, take my answer off air. I mean, there used to be someone once, this is a while back, uh, a long while back, 20 years or more, 25, 30 years ago. There used to be a directory of black businesses in Baltimore. It's still around. Yeah. It's but still it's around? only paper. Um, it's on paper, so right, right, right. It's very right. old school. But I, I think what's really interesting about what the caller just brought up is two things that I've been thinking about um, that just came up yesterday. And then one other piece, which is that there are some black business owners who believe that the model, um, they believe that uh, white folks won't patronize black businesses. And so they do invisibilize themselves in the startup and the launch of the business. And so we actually know black mm-hmm. business owners in the city who have businesses where when we tell other people it's a black owned business they are shocked and have no idea and then the inverse is true where you actually have white owned businesses that have a black cultural aesthetic that are out um, mm-hmm. soliciting and encouraging black support as though they're a black owned business and Miss Shirley's is a great example of this uh, in really? terms of in terms of the brunch mm-hmm. and restaurant space which a lot of black people don't know is not black owned um, but actually Miss Shirley was was a black woman who worked for 
Mm. the white folks who started the business and that it's based on her story her recipes her culture and her identity that is now actually the largest breakfast chain in the city I just found out yesterday OK Africa which is like one of the largest online web spaces for black folks of the African descent is white owned and so I think that like there's this fascinating piece around there are black business owners who feel like they have to invisibilize themselves to get business support and then there are white folks who are starting and launching black businesses and meanwhile you have black owned businesses in the city and in the region that um, often struggle to be supported and to be visible and seen. And so asking the question of like, is this a black owned business should be part of your politic wherever you go. And everybody should act that white folks in this city should be like, how many of our dollars do we spend in black owned businesses every year in Baltimore? Because that is actually what it means to be part of an ecosystem that thrives. We got a tweet here. Um, uh, Let me read it real fast. Uh, Say it loud tweeted, I am really enjoying the show listening to Dovecoat owners. They hosted my game launch. You should have me on and play on air. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Who is that? Uh, Quetta. She's amazing. (laughs) She is a culinary genius. She's an extraordinaire. She's a community builder. Um, And you should go check out out Say It Loud Games and you should have her online. It's basically the coolest black trivia community building game out right now and she's um in the middle of launching it she's local oh, wow. she's from baltimore she's dope well let's do like well so uh just contact me mark at and, and mark with a c by the way get that right <laughs> not mark not mark <laughs> Uh oh! <laughs> <laughs> you know how we do, Mark. You know how we do. <laughs> All right. Do we, <laughs> do we have time for one more call, or should we just wrap it up with one more very quick call? Leo, very quick thought. We only got two minutes left. Hello, Mark Steiner. Hey, Leo Burroughs. And everybody. Well, I hope you institutionalize those uh, restaurants, those black-owned businesses, because sometimes they go out of business much too quickly. Mm-hmm. I hope you're u- utilizing your families and others. And uh, I had a black sociologist uh, tell me, Dr. Irene Diggs, remember her, Mark? I do remember. I do remember Dr. Diggs. Yes, I do. Black group self-hatred. She introduced me to that. We've got to divest ourselves of black group self-hatred, give our restaurants and other black businesses the benefit of the doubt. And if they don't come through, we let them go. But we've got to be proud of what our initiatives are, and we've got to grow black businesses. Leo, it's always good to hear your voice. Uh, yes. Leo Burroughs mm-hmm. calls the show all the time. I just said a little bit of Leo. I'm I met Leo guy. when he was a freshman at Morgan State University, and I was in the ninth grade. Mm-hmm. My first wow. picket at Mondawmin <laughs> Shopping Center to integrate restaurants, and that's where I met Leo. And we've been wow, <laughs> still calling that's amazing. It. long time ago. That's some history. That, yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> Leo Burroughs. All right, I want to thank the four, the th- four of you being here. This has been great. I see three because it's three restaurants, but four people in the house. Uh, Hero Meratif, who is Grub Factory. Grub Factory, 1210 North Charles Street. Come on down. Aisha Pugh and Cole from Dovecoat Cafe. Dovecoat Cafe is at 2501 Madison. We look forward to seeing you. Greg Brown, Landa Cush. 840 North Utah Street. Vegan Restaurant Week coming up, as well as... Uh, uh, vegan Soul Fest coming up August 26th. That's lit. right. Vegan's coming yeah. up. So that's lit. Right. That's right. That's right. Like veggie style lit. People. Yes, right. yes. And so we will do our best to uh, put that list up on our website of all these restaurants with a link to uh, the websites and also a link to Dovecoat's Indiegogo campaign uh, so the sisters can buy the house and grow it. Right? Yes. yes. Grow it. So thank you all for being here. This has been a great conversation. Thank you for having us. Thanks so much for having us. Great idea. So uh, thank you all for listening. We'll be back tomorrow with uh, an interesting conversation with Kwame Kwe Arma and a very special documentary that we produced on the life of Studs Terkel from his conversations with us here on the air. The Mark Steiner Show is a production of the Center for Emerging Media. Our lead producer is Calvin Perry. Our editing producer is Ali Post. Our engineer is Andre Melton. Our theme music is by Juan Matthews of Clean Cuts. Send me your thoughts about today's program to talk at steinershow.org, the podcast at Steiner Show, and share with your friends. Visit us on the web at steinershow.org or listen to us via your favorite podcasting app. And I want to say thank you very much and farewell, at least for work-wise, to Imani Spence, who's moved on to new things. But she's been a great producer here for the last year. It was good to have her around. And we wish her all the luck in the world in the future. And for your source for cool jazz and more, WEAA 88.9 FM, the voice of the community, I'm Mark Steiner. Take care. <laughs>